Well, we're going to start a new series this morning on the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 1 this morning. Uh, I've told some of you, I haven't told all of you this, uh, about uh, this past summer, my family and I for vacation got to go to one of our favorite spots on the planet. We were in upstate New York at a resort kind of family camp type of place called Camp of the Woods. Uh, It sits on Lake Pleasant, right in the middle of the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, Here's a photo I took one night of the sunset right on Lake Pleasant. One of the most beautiful spots that we have had the opportunity to visit. We've been able to go there with our kids several times. Every chance we get, we go back. One of the activities that they have for families who are visiting is a boat ride around the lake. Uh, You can pay $10. Your family gets kind of on a pontoon boat that seats, I don't know, 40 or 50 people. And you take a 30-minute tour around this beautiful lake just to get a feel for the beauty of God's creation and see what's out there. So our family decided one afternoon that this would be a great family activity. We went down to the dock. We paid our $10. Uh, We had to wait for a few minutes to get on the boat because there was a little storm on the west side of the lake that was concerning to the uh, boat driver. And so he he made us pause for a little while, finally said, you know what, it's a 30-minute boat ride. We'll be out and back before the storm gets here. This is the point in a movie where you'd be yelling, don't get on the boat. Because uh, here's what happened. We got on the boat, paid our $10, we got on the boat, and the first 75% of the boat ride was perfect. I mean, it was beautiful. The skies were clear. There was a nice breeze coming off the lake. The kids were enjoying it. Uh, As we rounded the last bend to return to the dock, uh, I heard a noise under the boat, something like this. Uh, They had hit a sandbar about 200 feet out from the shore. The boat driver kind of cringed, as did I, as did everybody on the boat, and pushed the throttle up again, and the boat was still working. So he said, okay, we're all right. Uh, began to push forward further into the water, and we heard the noise again. At this point, he pushed the throttle, and the boat went a little bit slower than it had previously. Uh, He kind of chuckled nervously and said, all right, we're, we're okay. You may get a little more than your 30 minutes out of this boat ride, because we're moving a little slower. Right as he finished that sentence, we heard it a third time. Uh, At this point, uh, he pushed the throttle up and the boat would not go, uh, like hardly at all. So we're drifting in the middle of the water and he he laughed and he said, okay, we will get back. Don't worry about it. It's just going to take us a little while. So uh, we're kind of drifting and limping back toward the dock and that's when it began to rain. At first, the rain was pretty light, just kind of a a little rain coming in from the side. Uh, It was cold, but it was bearable. We all moved into the center of the boat, and we sat on the bench under the canopy that was over the boat. But over the course of the next five to ten minutes, the rain increased in intensity until about ten minutes into this deal, we were in a full-blown thunderstorm on this lake. 
wind is howling, there is lightning, there is thunder. Uh, The canopy makes no difference at this point, no matter where you're sitting. Rain is just pouring in from the side. The boat is going like this, and you momentarily could forget that there were pontoons, and you probably weren't in danger of capsizing, because I was beginning to be frightened thinking this is not how I envisioned my end capsizing on a tourist boat in the middle of a lake in upstate New York, 200 feet from the shore. It continued to pour. And what was interesting to me was the range of responses of those on the boat because it was pretty terrifying at the moment. You could not see outside the boat. Uh, Some people were silent, trying to remain calm, trying to help take care of their kids. I was one of those silent people. I also was silently thinking, we better get our $10 back for this boat ride. Uh, Some people panicked. Uh, There was a teenage girl on the boat that the entire time was just going, ah, like at the top of her lungs, just like, we're going to die, right? And she's just freaking out. And that's not helping at all. Uh, Some people resorted to humor. One elderly woman goes, maybe you should throw me overboard on account of my sin, right? Uh, Others uh, began, though, to sing hymns. Some people were singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And uh, as they're singing, I couldn't help but remember that John Newton, who wrote the hymn, actually became a Christian in the middle of a thunderstorm on a boat. And now I know why. (laughs) Uh, I looked over. The most poignant moment for me was to look over, and I saw my wife holding our eight-year-old daughter, who was fairly panicked. And she was saying to her over and over again, God knows. God is with us. God sees us. God knows. God is with us. God sees us. Over and over and over. After a few minutes, they managed to get some other boats up next to our boat, and they offloaded us and got us back over to the dock, and they did give us our money back, our $10 back, and they gave us some uh, free ice cream as well for the trouble and an apology, uh, you know, for something they really fundamentally could not have necessarily controlled, although we appreciated it. Uh, But as I had thought about that incident over the course of the summer, I couldn't help but think that often we uh, feel that way. In the midst of our world, uh, which by the way, I I forgot to show the next slide. Uh, When we got back to our cabin, my wife, who is a photographer, suggested that we take a photograph of our family. You can tell my son actually looks genuinely concerned still. Uh, This photo makes me shiver just to look at. We were so cold and so wet. And as I thought about that, I couldn't help but think, you know, that's a lot of times how we feel in the midst of the world we live in. That we as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're sitting in this little boat and we're singing praise to God and we're worshiping God, but we look around and there's nothing but chaos. I don't know if anybody over the course of this year has felt panicked about the political situation of our country. And you say, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen to us? Maybe you feel fearful about our country's economic situation and you say, "Uh, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to support my family? It may be that you feel fearful about being faithful to Jesus Christ in the middle of a culture that is hostile 
to the good news of Jesus that is hostile to the values of the scripture and you may feel like you are the only one who still holds to the truth of God's word and the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we sit in this little boat and there's this storm all over and we are terrified. And if you feel like that, know that you are not alone. If you feel like that at times, know that uh, there is a long history of God's people feeling that way. Uh, In fact, as we open up the book of 2 Timothy this week, what we're going to see is that Timothy, to whom Paul addresses this letter, was a young man who felt exactly that way as he was tasked to pastor this church in Ephesus in the middle of the Roman Empire, under the reign of Emperor Nero, who persecuted Christians perhaps more strongly than any other emperor of Rome, in the middle of a city that was immoral, that was hostile to Jesus. Timothy was young, he felt afraid, and in his fear, his temptation was to step back and not to be faithful to the call of God on his life to worship Jesus Christ, and to make disciples. 2 Timothy is fundamentally a book about disciple-making. Paul will say to Timothy, Timothy, preach the good news of the gospel. Teach the truth of the Word of God to faithful men who will teach others, who can teach others. That's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy is about the process of disciple-making, but a large emphasis of the book of 2 Timothy is have the courage necessary to simply be faithful to Jesus Christ when it feels like you're in the middle of a storm. And if you are like me, the reality is that when we feel that fear, we step back from what God has called us to do. And we say, you know what, I am not gifted or able to share the gospel. If I uh, proclaim in my workplace that I know Jesus Christ and worship Him, I might lose my job or not get promoted. If I give financially to the work of God's church, if I give to missionaries, I may not have enough left over. And so we step back. Much like Timothy was tempted to do. Or perhaps what we do is we try to control or manipulate the circumstances of our lives to say, if we can just elect the right person, all will be well. If I can just control what my children do, their future will be secure. Right? Good luck with that one. What we're going to see in the book of 2 Timothy is that Paul is going to exhort Timothy that your courage does not come from the circumstances around, because the circumstances around, quite frankly, are chaotic. Your courage does not come from your own power, but instead your courage and your ability to be faithful day after day, week after week, to the call of God on your life. That courage comes from the power of God's Spirit who lives in us and among us as His people. God's Spirit who is greater than everything we fear. So that when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 this morning, the primary emphasis is this. Fear is the enemy of faithfulness. But God's Spirit can vanquish our fears. 
fear is the enemy of faithfulness, but God's spirit can vanquish our fears. I think back to our time on that little boat and the truth my wife was whispering to our daughter, God knows, God is with us, God sees us. And what Paul will fundamentally say is that we are called to remind ourselves of the truth of God's word, that his spirit is with us, he knows, he sees us, and he will empower us for what we've been called to do. We're calling this series on 2 Timothy exponential And the reason we're calling it exponential is because in this process of discipleship, what we see in the early church and throughout the history of the church is that when ordinary people are simply faithful to worship Jesus Christ and to do what they're called to do, to reflect His character in a dark world and to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who don't know Him, when we are faithful to that task, not only do more people come to know Jesus, who tell more people about Jesus, not only does the church grow, but also our walk with Jesus Christ and our trust in Him grows dramatically and exponentially. And Paul will say in 2 Timothy 2, the way we have the courage to do that is to know that the Spirit of God is greater than everything we fear. A little bit of brief background on the book of 2 Timothy. First of all, look with me at the first two verses. We're going to see the author and the addressee. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The book is written by the apostle Paul. This is the last book that Paul wrote. Probably wrote it in 67 or 68 Uh, roughly 35 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is at the end of his ministry because as he was writing this book, he was imprisoned in Rome, awaiting trial. And tradition tells us that after the writing of this book, some months later, Paul was beheaded by Emperor Nero for his testimony of faith. So here's a guy writing a book to uh, Timothy, a protege, and Paul himself has tons of reasons to be afraid. He's about to die. And yet what we see in this book is the thing that Paul probably fears the most is that after he dies, Timothy and those who have followed him will fail to persevere. He's afraid that Timothy will not do the work he's called to do in Ephesus. And so this is this urgent, impassioned plea to Timothy to remain faithful Timothy, the addressee, is called Paul's beloved son in verse 2. Now that obviously is not uh, literal. Timothy was not Paul's biological son. Instead, uh, Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. Most likely, Paul is the one who led Timothy to Jesus Christ, who preached the gospel to him. And certainly, Timothy was mentored or discipled or raised up in the faith by Paul. And he says, Timothy, you are my beloved son, and these are... My final words to you about how to continue walking with Jesus Christ and being faithful to the task that's ahead of you. Uh, We see from both 1st and 2nd Timothy that Timothy was a fearful guy. Over and over and over again, Paul has to tell him to have courage, has to exhort him not to shrink back. In 1st Timothy 
chapter 4, he says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And he'll say something very similar here in 2 Timothy. That fear is the enemy of faithfulness, Timothy. Uh, For you and me, uh, as we look at 2 Timothy, the thing for us to lock into our hearts and minds is that just like Timothy, we have been called to a task. It's a task that is simple to understand, but difficult to do because we are often afraid. A task to make disciples of all the nations. To simply know Jesus Christ, to walk faithfully with Him, to read His Word, to rely on His Spirit, and to reflect His character, day after day. We're not called to do anything dramatic or anything supernatural other than rely on the supernatural power of the Spirit to fulfill God's purposes for our life. And so Paul will say to Timothy, be courageous in the Spirit of God. Now the question, of course, is how do you do that? And as we walk through the rest of this passage this morning, we will see Paul's exhortations to Timothy for how to be courageous and how to rely upon the power of the Spirit and the truth of God's Word. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. The first thing Paul says to Timothy is this, remember your legacy. Remember your legacy. And I love the way that Paul sets this up. He reminds Timothy of his own spiritual background. That is, Paul says, Timothy, I have a spiritual heritage. I am serving God with a clear conscience in the same way that my forefathers did. Paul says, we stand in a long line of men and women who knew God and obeyed God even when the world around was hostile to the truth of God's Word. Paul and Timothy both came from strong Jewish backgrounds. We'll talk about that with Timothy in a moment. And Paul says, I am serving God with a clear conscience. And then he says, Timothy, you also need to remember your heritage. You remember your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, both of whom were faithful to God. Uh, Timothy was half Jewish and half Greek. We know that from Acts chapter 16. His mom was a Jewish Christian. His father was a Greek man who was probably not a Christian. He came from a spiritually mixed home. But it seems clear that he had been trained in the faith of the Jewish people from the time he was a child. And Paul will say, Timothy, you are still standing in the same stream of faith that was handed on from your mom, from your grandmother, and probably from her parents, from her parents. Remember that legacy because that legacy reminds you that you are not alone. Uh, You and I certainly are out of step with our world and with our culture in what we believe. It is certainly unusual in 2016 in the United States to believe in an inerrant 
Scripture. It is certainly unusual to believe in a Savior who died and rose again bodily. It is unusual to believe that trusting in Him for eternal life is the only way to have eternal life. It is unusual to hold to what the Scripture says on areas like sexual ethics. And so we are out of step with our world. And I love what Paul says to Timothy when Timothy is in a very similar situation. He says, Timothy, you are not alone. You remember your legacy, that your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, going all the way back to the beginning of God's people, they have all been out of step with the world. And yet they have maintained this faith in the face of hostility. For thousands of years. And now Paul will say we know our Messiah. And we continue to trust God who has revealed Jesus to us. And we don't shrink away because that is the legacy that we have. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11. In order to encourage faltering Jewish Christians. Gives them an outline of the great men and women of the faith beginning all the way back in Genesis and going all the way through the prophets. It's called the Hall of Faith. And he talks about what all these men did and women did by faith in God. And then he wraps it all up in Hebrews chapter 12 like this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You're not the first in this line of faith. You're not alone. Uh, For the past 10 or 12 years, uh, I have had my hair cut at my own house by my wife. Uh, When we were newly married, in order to save a few dollars, instead of going to the uh, barber shop or the salon or whatever, uh, we bought a set of clippers and Shannon learned how to cut my hair. Uh, When our son came along and it was his turn, uh, she began cutting his hair as well. Uh, But the problem was that when he first started getting his hair cut, he was terrified of the clippers. Right? Because when you're two and you see a cutting implement coming toward your head, it's scary. And so he would cry and he would pull away and he would not want to have his hair cut. And you know what we finally did is uh, we would say to him, Samuel... Let daddy go first. Right? So I would sit down in the chair and I'd pretend I wasn't afraid. Right? <laughs> and I'd get my hair cut first. And then he'd sit down and the theory was that uh, my bravery would inspire his bravery. Because I had done it before, he could do it as well. Uh, many of you have taken this approach with your children. Perhaps there is a food like green beans that they will not eat. And so you say, watch, I can eat this, right? And it's okay. You're not going to die. You'll make it. And you go first. 
and then they have the courage to follow behind. That is what Paul is getting at regarding our legacy. Now, I realize there are some of you in this room that you have a great familial legacy of faith. Uh, Your parents knew Jesus Christ and told you about Jesus. Your grandparents told them. You have a legacy of faith that maybe goes all the way back to the Apostle Paul, right? Others of you, you're the first in your family to know Jesus Christ. And you read a passage like this and you say, where's my legacy? And here's what Paul would say. Your legacy is in two places. One, it is in this room. As you see the men and women of faith who are a few years or a few decades ahead of you, who have walked with Jesus Christ for a lifetime, and you see those men and women, and as we gather together and we worship together, those men and women become the legacy that those of us who are younger follow. Your legacy is also in the great history of the Christian church from the first century to the 21st century. I love to read biographies of great men and women of faith throughout the centuries to see how they stood firm in their faith in the midst of a hostile context. Men like Polycarp in the second century who was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ and tradition tells us as he was tied to the stake and urged to recant, he said, I've served him for 86 years and he has done me no wrong. How could I blaspheme him now? And they lit the flame. I love to read about men like Martin Luther who stood for the truth of God's word in the face of the entire Roman Empire. Believing that the good news of grace was worth giving his life for. And so we have this legacy of faith that Paul says as the Spirit of God has moved among God's people. We look at those who have gone before and we run the race with endurance. That's our legacy. I also want to exhort those in this room who have walked with Jesus for years or decades to say this, for whom can you be a legacy? Who are those that you can now turn around and say, I will walk with Jesus alongside of you to help you get to the finish line. Maybe it's a college student you know in this room or in your workplace. Maybe it is a new believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have an opportunity, uh, like Ryan talked about earlier, uh, to take one of those international students from last weekend into your home and sit down with them for a meal and share Jesus Christ with them. Pray that they will trust in Jesus Christ and then lead them to a place of deeper growth in Him. So Paul says, Timothy, you remember your legacy. And as the book progresses, Paul will also say to Timothy, you be a legacy as well to those who are looking for a legacy to follow. Remember your legacy. And then Paul goes on and he says, Timothy, rely on God's Spirit. One of the most well-known passages from 2 Timothy, verses 6 and 7 right here. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. God has not given us a spirit of timidity or cowardice, but of power and love and discipline. And essentially, Paul will say that same spirit who has been operative in God's people for all of the centuries past is now operative in you right now in the place to which you have been called as his servant. It says, we are not people who have a spirit of fear. We are not people who respond to the political, economic, moral situation of our world with fear and angst. But instead, we are people who trust and day after day remain faithful. Why? Because the Spirit that we have, the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of those who trust Jesus Christ, that Spirit is a Spirit of power and love and discipline. Paul uses three words here. It is a Spirit of power. When you look at Romans 8, 11, Paul writes that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. That's the type of power of the Spirit that lives in us. It is the very Spirit that raised Jesus up from the ground. If we have that type of power in our corner, there is nothing that any earthly power can do to overcome it. The Spirit of God will be powerful and active and present among God's people long after the next president's administration is a memory long after the United States itself is a mere memory into eternity, the Spirit of God will be powerful and active among His people. And Paul says we have a spirit of power to empower us to worship God, to empower us toward courage, to empower us to speak the good news that Jesus died for sin and rose again. It is also a spirit of love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he goes on and lists the other eight. That the first fruit of the Spirit, the first evidence that the Spirit of God is working in our lives is that we demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Why can we demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ even toward those who hate us? Because Jesus loved us first. While we were yet sinners. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when Blake talked about salvation, remember he said that God took enemies. Not only did he forgive them, but what did he do? He made them his friends and he brought them into his family. That's the love of God most perfectly displayed in Jesus Christ, His Son. That love dwells within God's people so that as we go into the world, we do not feel hatred, anger, or fear toward those who are hostile even to the good news. We feel love that is motivated by the Spirit of God. John will say in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. When I am filled with the love of Jesus Christ, there's no room left for fear. We have a spirit of power. We have a spirit of love. We have a spirit of discipline. That is uh, soberness or sound 
mindedness. Because we know the Spirit of God is with us, because we know the love of Jesus Christ, we can be sound of mind and make good decisions about how we spend our time, about how we spend our money, about how we turn toward the Lord in faith rather than fear, because we don't have to be afraid. When you are afraid, you generally make bad decisions. All of us recognize that fear and anxiety causes us often to think irrationally. But when we are full of the power and love of Jesus Christ, we can make decisions that are in keeping with the character of God, emboldened by His Spirit. We don't have a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. The Spirit of God lives in us and among us and surrounds our hearts and minds in the midst of a storm like our world is facing and says, God loves you. God is in control. Jesus died and defeated death itself for you when he rose again. You have nothing to fear. Somebody bigger than you is in control. Uh, Many of you probably heard that uh, Thursday or Friday was National Dog Day. Uh, I was on Facebook and I saw even many of you in this room, you posted photographs of your dog. Uh, I have a dog. I did not post a photo of him on National Dog Day because, just to be honest, he hasn't really done anything to merit it. Uh, He has not really done anything to deserve that kind of honor. I like him, but most of what he does is is take, right? Uh, He takes stuff like food and uh, water. He has eaten my food uh, before off of my plate. And so I, I like him, I just didn't feel like honoring him. But, but here's the thing, as I thought about National Dog Day and I thought about my dog, uh, my dog, he's about 50 pounds. He's a pretty good-sized dog. He's a kind of a cross between a, a lab and maybe an Australian healer, something like that. A really, really, really friendly dog, right? Friendly to the point of like emotionally needy. Uh, he probably needs a little bit of counseling uh, to deal with his issues of neediness, Uh, great dog, but one of the things about our dog, Cowboy, is that when there is a storm, he panics. Uh, He freaks out. Uh, If he is not locked away, like in his kennel, he will run through the house. He's been known to tear stuff up. He jumps in our bed. He jumps on the sofa. Uh, He will leave puddles on the floor in his fear and anxiety. And so uh, the only time we really allow him to get in our bed is when there's a thunderstorm, because otherwise we cannot calm him. Uh, One night, we, uh, Shannon and I, happened to be out of town, and my parents were staying with our kids and with the dog, and a thunderstorm erupted outside, and the dog did what he did. He began to go crazy, and uh, we had not anticipated this, so we had not given my parents instructions for how to handle the dog's freakout. My dad tried to lock him in his kennel, but the dog just barked and howled and made all kinds of noise. And dad quickly thought he's going to wake all of the kids and the whole house. So he let him out, but the dog ran around and went crazy. And my dad said, finally, the only way I could get the dog to calm down was I crawled up on the sofa and the dog curled up next to me and I slept on the sofa, snuggled up to your dog. Now, it's one of those moments that I thought, I really wish I was there, right? I wish I had been there to see my father cuddled with the dog, telling the dog, it's okay. 
right? I'm, I'm here. I don't know what my dad could do, right, other than that. But it somehow calmed that freaky little dog to a place where he was manageable. Right? As, as I thought about that, I thought fundamentally that's what the Spirit of God is constantly doing for his people. Uh, the difference, of course, is that God himself is all-powerful over the storm, over the universe, over history. And he says, you know what? I'm here. I'm strong. And one day the storm will end because Jesus will return. All evil will be judged and destroyed. And all of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will rise again and reign with him forever. And so in the midst of that storm, we don't have to panic. We don't have to be afraid. Just like every child, all of our kids, when they were young, struggled with various fears, whether it was a thunderstorm or fear of the dark, even fear of the uh, sound of the pipes when the toilet would flush. And we did used to remind them, God is always with you, even in the dark, even when the toilet flushes, even when there's a sound outside, God is always uh, with you. And our older daughter, one day when she was about two, so quite some time ago, I was driving with her in the car. She was sitting in the back seat. And from the back seat, I heard these words. She said, even when we can't see God, he's right there watching over us. He promises in the Bible that he will always take care of us. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I heard those words and they brought me to tears. It turned out she had memorized it from a, a CD she had. That was the intro to the song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. But I thought, what powerful truth from a child who believes and knows it's true. Paul will say, Timothy, the Spirit of God is with you. Even when you can't see Him. He's always there. You have been given a spirit of power and of love and of discipline. So again, fear is the enemy of faithfulness, but God's spirit can vanquish our fears. I want to offer as we close a few quick points of application then. If we say, you know what, I know that the spirit of God is among us, is in us to empower us, to give us courage to do God's will. How can I begin today and this week to apply that reality from God's word? Four things very quickly. First of all, remember. As Paul said, remember your legacy and remember the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have not yet come to a place where you have trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of your sin and for eternal life, Doing so is the place really where uh, courage begins because it's the place where uh, you understand that you don't have to be afraid of death itself because Jesus died for you and rose again so you can have eternal life. And all who believe in that, the Spirit of God now lives within you. And so we remember the good news and we remember our legacy of faith. So morning after morning, we go to God's Word and we rehearse 
his faithfulness. We rehearse his character. This is the value of studying and reading and believing the Word of God. Secondly, rekindle the gift that God has given you. Rekindle the gift that God has given you. Perhaps you are gifted in evangelism, but fear has held you back, and it may be time to say, I will trust the Spirit of God to give me the power and strength to share the good news. Perhaps you are uh, spiritually gifted as a giver, and yet you hold back because you're afraid financially. And the Spirit of God may be pushing you forward. Perhaps you are gifted as a teacher or a mentor, and yet you tell yourself, you know what, I'm not good enough. And so you hold back from investing in the lives of other people. And Paul would say, rekindle the gift of God. Find a place of service with the gifts God has given you. Thirdly, risk. And what I mean is is not that you have to go to the corner of uh, Highway 6 and Fitch and hold up a sign that says, turn or burn. What I mean by risk is that the Spirit of God at times will call you as you rekindle your gift. The Spirit of God will call you to step into places that are just slightly beyond what feels comfortable. To push you to a place of trust in Him where you may risk a little bit of loss of face at your workplace. Where you may risk the potential of not advancing as far in your career as you would like where you may risk a little bit financially, where you may risk a little bit in terms of even your kid's future or what you perceive their future to be. And God will continue to push us to places where we're called to step just a little bit beyond where we feel comfortable. So we remember that His Spirit is more powerful than all we fear. And then fourthly, raise up raise up. Turn around and figure out who are the men and women that I can lead and disciple to know Jesus better. Maybe you are in a Bible study or a home group and there is somebody a few years behind you in their walk with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've been praying for them or thinking about them or noticing them and maybe uh, this week is the time to say, you know, I would love to invest in your life. I promise you that most young men and women will jump at the chance to have somebody a little farther along in the faith, invest in them, pray for them, and walk in the faith with them. Raise up those in the next generation who need this legacy of faith to know that the Spirit of God will continue to empower God's people as we pass the good news to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation until Jesus Christ comes. That is the message of the book of 2 Timothy. And we'll continue in that as we move forward this semester. Would you pray with me? Father, what a powerful passage of Scripture. And what a powerful book. Father, I I read 2 Timothy and find myself convicted by the urgency and the passion with which Paul wrote 
about discipleship, I find myself convicted by the courage with which he wrote about you and your power and your spirit, and I pray that we would believe the words that we have read, that we would believe the truth of who you are. Father, I pray that we would be people who trust you in greater ways, day after day, as we follow you and your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.